0: outline in your notes I'm probably a lot louder than uh, Robert is uh, last week so Russ we may bring this down just a tad because even in case I get excited and start yelling Um, that doesn't happen Dean ever does it have you ever looked at the condition of the world and thought to yourself what is God thinking Uh, I don't know about you but I've been considering that a lot lately uh, I've been looking at the condition of the the world. You know, Greece's um, market is plumbing t- plummeting, which will not be good for the euro, and won't be good for America. Uh, but there's a currency that outlasts that. Amen. Uh, you look at the postmodern view of human sexuality and the cultural acceptance of what god calls sin not only in secular world but also the church and i think to myself what is god doing what is god thinking um but what we're going to see is that god all along is still sovereign and in control And God allows the hearts of the world to be hardened while simultaneously He is softening the hearts of the saved. We need to recap the beginning of Romans chapter 9 in case you've missed a few weeks in the summer. In the beginning, Paul is very saddened that his fellow brothers of Israel have not seen the grace of God as he has seen. For the promises of God, all the Old Testament, all the law and the prophets were given to Israel. But they missed the point of the text. Have you ever heard a sermon? And he, the preacher's preaching from some place in the Bible. And you said to yourself, I don't think that's what it means. You're like, yeah, uh, a few weeks ago, preacher, I, I heard that. But Israel missed the point of the text the point of the text was to point them to their own need for a messiah and not their own ability to be righteous there was a lack of expository preaching in israel so paul is very sorrowful and he gives a defense then that he still has joy in the midst of that sorrow because in verse 6 he says he knows that God is accomplishing what he wills to accomplish through the salvation of a particular people. That God is still accomplishing the salvation of a peculiar, called-out people in the midst of all the craziness of the world. And that's true today. Did you know that? Even when the world falls apart, God is still putting people together. In order to establish his case, uh, Paul looks at two particular examples of what he calls election in Old Testament chronology. The first being Abraham, who had two sons. The first was named Ishmael that came through his servant girl, Hagar. And even though the promise was given, uh, the, the covenant promise was given to Abraham, it did not descend to his physical son, Ishmael. It extended to his covenant son, Jacob. It extended. I'm sorry, Isaac. It extended to his covenant son, Isaac. Now, did you also know this? That after Sarah died, Abraham married uh, Keturah and had six other sons. No one ever talks about the other six sons, do they? We always talk about Ishmael and Isaac, but Abraham had six other sons. Did they receive the covenant blessing? No, they didn't. It was the descendants of Isaac who received the covenant blessing. So Paul is establishing that just because we are physical descendants of Abraham, that doesn't mean you're under the covenant. He's trying to make the case that not all people who call themselves Israel are Israel. Let me tell you today, not all people who call themselves Christians are Christians. Newsflash for somebody. (laughs) Not everyone who gathers in the doors of God's house belong to God. That was true back then, is true still today. Be wary, because the most pretty and polished people could easily be Pharisees and not worshipers. Worshippers, worshipers, our Pharisees are clean and polished. You see, the Pharisees can put on a good act, but not all Israel is Israel. Then he also makes the case that Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And we looked a few weeks ago at the story in the Old Testament. Found that even though Esau was the older brother, he was born first. He did not receive the covenant blessing. It went to Jacob. This is a great example between the old covenant under Israel and the new covenant under the church. I've never thought about this in Jacob and Esau. But I want you to think about this. Esau deserved the covenant by birthright. But Jacob got the covenant. Matter of fact, Jacob snatched the covenant from Esau. Now look at the Old Testament Israel and the New Covenant church. The Old Testament Israel, by birth, deserved the covenant, but bless God, the church snatched it away. I'm I'm thankful for that. Amen? Amen? Because, listen, if the covenant was only to the physical descendants of Abraham, you and I would never be in it. You and I wouldn't be in the 12 tribes of Israel. We wouldn't be in the covenant of righteousness that came to Abraham. But because Jesus Christ engrafted those who didn't deserve it into the covenant blessing that was reserved for those who should have had it all along, you and I can partake in it. I'm only on the intro and I'm getting excited today. You see, he says, uh, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. I believe we read that last week. Didn't we read that? Verse 13. And he's quoting the book of Malachi. And what does uh, uh, God mean when he uses that language? He means that his favor rested upon Jacob, but his favor did not rest upon Esau. This point is so crucial. That if you miss it, you miss one of the centerpieces of theology in the whole Bible. And that is this. God's favor and love rests on those whom God decides. Therefore, Jacob and Esau is the archetype of God's election... For his people, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. That's what he says in verse 10. Why is Paul telling us that? Because God decides who his love and favor should rest upon. If you don't like it, argue with Apostle Paul, not me. The whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is that man is incapable of carrying out the commands of God, but that Christ was the one who was capable. I've even read some comments... I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to stay on track. So therefore, the salvation of God is designed that it gives glory to God. Because we are incapable of carrying out faithfulness to God unless the Spirit is upon us. That means that God is the one who transforms the heart and brings about the knowledge of salvation. God is the one who opens up the spiritual ears and the spiritual heart for us to see Christ. What I mean is that if God has saved you, it has been by God's design and not our own design because as verse 12 says that we read last week, uh, no, that's not verse 12, um, verse 11, not of him who works, but of him who calls. That means it's not according to the working of man. Salvation is according to the working of him who calls. You and I have no ability to do a work in which we have no tool to do. We don't have a heart wrench to fix the heart. Amen? We don't have a spiritual scalpel. To cut away the heart of stone. Only God has that. This is why in the Old Testament he says, I'm going to give a new spirit. Can you do that? No, we can't. But God can. Amen. He is able. He is capable. So the question is, often asked, if God's favor rests upon someone but does not rest upon others, then how is God just when those whom God's favor does not rest upon will end up being Receiving the punishment for their sin. How is God just if His favor does not rest upon those? And my answer to that question is that we'll have to turn our attention to the sufficiency of Scripture. Beginning in verse 14. Let's read together. Romans 9, 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? I think another translation says, is God unjust? And he says, certainly not. That's his famous answer. Exclamation, meganoito. He says, no way. No way is God unjust. For he says, verse 15 to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So this is not about him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills, he hardens. This is a difficult passage to get today. We're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to understand it. In your notes I've included an outline and we're going to understand that God is just. In his plan of salvation. So it's pretty simple first point. There is justice in the plan of God. Romans 9.15 tells us that God is going to have mercy on whom he declares to have mercy. And he has compassion on whom he declares to have compassion. God is by definition the most great being. The greatest being possible. That is God. That means that everything he does is just and correct. Because if God did anything unjust, then there would be a being conceivably who does everything just. And therefore the being that does something unjust is not God. But God, because he is the maximally great being, does everything just. That means he does everything right. Have you ever thought that God got something wrong in your life? Well, God, you just gave me the wrong job. Maybe he gave you the wrong attitude, and you just need to fix it. Well, God, you just gave me the wrong childhood. No, he gave you the right childhood. God is just. He doesn't make anything wrong. He doesn't make mistakes. And let me tell you what, this type of thinking is what led people to think, well, God may be the wrong gender. Evidently, God didn't know what he was doing. No, God knew exactly what He was doing. That's why the command is deny self and believe the gospel. First John 1 John 1.5 says that God is light and in Him there is no darkness, meaning that God is perfectly good and He doesn't do anything that is not perfectly good. So some people look at, at the wrath of God in the Old Testament and believe that because God allows certain tribes or certain nations to be murdered, to execute genocide, that, that God is not ultimately benevolent. They see, they see this as some sort of moral evil taking place in God's justice in the Old Testament. But that is undergirded with the assumption that men deserve something other than death. Fortunately for us, because we read the whole Bible and we just don't cherry pick it. We know that Romans 6.23 says that all, all of us deserve death. The wages of sin is death. So when someone dies, they, they are receiving exactly what they deserve. I don't care. Listen to me. It doesn't matter if you're an 87-year-old man or an 18-year-old young man. When we pass from this earth, it's because we deserve it. If God gives you more than one day, it's by his grace. If God lets me see tomorrow, you better give him thanks because he could take us on home today. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'd be okay if he did. It's better than this place. At least some of y'all are fun to be around. So we're going to enjoy it while we can. And you and I deserve that same death. Thanks be to God who delivered us from death. All of God's decisions are perfect. And in the infinite mind of God, He has created this world in which the greatest number of people will be saved. So this world is the world that God God could have created a multiplicity of, of universes. If he wanted to, but he, he created this one. And in this one, the greatest number of people will be saved. And in that context, there will also be people who will not be saved. I'm not going to argue with God. I believe he did it the most just way possible. All of his decisions are perfect. Nothing happens unless the Lord wills it remember the book of Job? The deceiver, the, the, the accuser, could not bring about any physical destruction to Job unless the, the Lord gave him permission. Nothing happens unless the Lord wills it. And some of you are angry with God right now because he's allowed suffering to happen in your life. But let me tell you this, unless that suffering happened in your life, you'd be spoiled and rotten. So God gave you what you needed. And that was to take everything which, away, which you thought pleased you and to give you only himself. Because only until everything else is removed do we realize that He is sufficient. It's easy to be a Christian in America. We got grocery stores. We got jobs everywhere. I can get Krispy Kreme donuts all day long. It's hard to be a Christian in Haiti. You don't even have water. You pray, God, supply my needs. And he tells you, you're going to have to roll a wheelbarrow for a mile down the street to bring back a five-gallon bucket of water just so your family can have food to cook today. But do you know what's amazing? Is that they're worshiping God much more faithfully than the mediocre Christian worships God here with everything. Lamentation 3.38 says, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come that mean God wills all things that occur? All things that occur are because God allows it. Nothing occurred. Let me tell you what, my friend, the devil's not stronger than God. Some people think God's like, uh oh, what are we gonna do here? Uh oh. <laughs> God is not surprised. God is not shocked. God is not terrified. He's in control. Because if I had to worship a God who was afraid of what's happening now, he's not worth worshiping. He's going to use it all for his glory. Romans 8, 28. I preached that a few weeks ago. God knew every mistake that you would make, and surprisingly, he made you anyway and allowed you to come to faith in Christ so that you would spend eternally forever with God. Someone tell me how that's not good news today, people. God knew how fallen and wretched you would be, but he made you anyway and brought you to faith in Christ so that you could enjoy him forever. I don't know why people have a problem with the Bible. It's the best message the new, the world has ever heard. Seriously, I don't think people have a problem with God. I think they have a problem with people's interpretation of God because if someone tells you how good God is, oh man, it's unbelievable. It was God's decree to deliver Israel from the hand of Pharaoh when God talked to Moses. Moses was indeed hearing the gospel. Paul in Romans 9:15 is quoting a conversation that God had to Moses because God is saying, "I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh so that my glory will be displayed in the Exodus." Do you know what God's saying? I'm causing Pharaoh to come under my judgment. I am causing the nation of Egypt, to come under my judgment. Many people wonder why the plagues are not included in the history of Egypt. And I don't know if you know anything about ancient political and war history. They only wrote things down that made them look good. They only wrote about the successes of kings... Not the defeats. They only wrote about the growth of the kingdom. Not the calamity. It's no surprise that a greatest tragedy in the history of Egypt. Was such a tainted spot on their historical record. That they never wanted to recall it again. But God raised Pharaoh up. And hardened his heart. So that his glory could be revealed in the exodus. Folks, we have to understand that the event of God's deliverance in the Exodus is the pivotal point of theology in the Old Testament. It is the whole concept of God's sovereignty is in the Exodus. That the people of Israel were slaves under the hand of Pharaoh and by God's decree, he delivered them. Let me tell you what, my friend. If they were delivered by God's decree, then you and I are delivered by God's decree. Nobody in Israel just got up and walked out of Egypt one day. (laughs) Well, I think I'm going to bust on out of here. Peace out. It don't work that way. They killed you. You were a slave. But God decreed deliverance. And no one can stop the decree of God. What do you think was happening to the people who were beholding with their own eyes... The revelation of God in His Son, Jesus Christ. And yet God hardened their hearts so that they would shout, crucify Him. Here is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, standing in your your face. You are beholding the manifestation of the entire logos of God. And what happened? They said, crucify Him. You know why? Because God hardened their hearts so that He would be murdered in our place. God hardened the heart of those who would crucify Him so that He could soften the heart of those who would be saved by Him. It was God's decree to save. Number two is that God is just toward those He saves. He's just in His decision to create the world and He's just in His decision to save Romans 9.16 says, It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Folks, I don't know if you realize how big that is. What What if God told you today? Your Christian experience depends on you. How many of you would walk out saying, Oh, joy. What blessed assurance. I'd walk away hanging my head. For the rest of the entire evening, if it depended on my effort, but praise God, 9:16 says it does not depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Hallelujah. You see, the question is not, why doesn't save why doesn't God save all? The question is, why are any saved at all? It does not depend on human desire. I want you to pay attention to that first part in Romans 9:16. You know what this means? That in the condition of our sin, none of us desire God. None of us desire Christ. Because the condition of our sin is that we are born serving the self. My my, my two and a half year old son, he doesn't want to share cupcakes with Bella because he craves the satisfaction of his own flesh. We are, by nature, children of wrath, opposed to the selflessness that occurs in the Gospel. No one wants to be a Christian, because Christianity says, deny self, but the flesh is crying, satisfy self, give me what I want. This is why the prosperity Gospel is false theology, because it says, God's going to give me what I want. I claim it in the name of Jesus. Why don't you just claim Jesus in the name of Jesus and be satisfied? How do we know that we are in opposition to God? Well, we can take some clues from Romans chapter 3. Verse 10 says, there's none righteous, no, not one. Some people need to know that. There's none righteous. That means no one has the ability to make themselves right. People say Christians shouldn't judge. I say I'm not judging. I'm just declaring what the judge has already said. No one's righteous. That's not a judgment. If I go out and say that's a rock. You shouldn't judge that preacher. I'm just making a call of what the fact is. No one's righteous. There is none who understands. Romans chapter 3. There is none who understands. No one who seeks God. No one who seeks God. How can you find something you're never seeking? Isaiah chapter 65, this is what God says. I let myself be sought by those who were not asking for me. I let myself be found by those who were not seeking me. You're like a blind man that bumped into the best buffet you've ever seen. You weren't looking for it, but you found it. You weren't looking for God, but you found God. Here's what God is saying. I allowed sinners to find me who were not even looking for me. I allowed salvation to come to a people who were not asking for it. The natural state of man is just that. It is natural. It is carnal. It is not spiritual. Romans 3 verse 12 says, All have turned away. There is none who do good. Verse 17, the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Do you know who Paul is talking about? He's not talking about the heathen in the tribes of Central America. He's talking about us. He's talking about me and you. The natural man has no ability to find God because the natural man cannot search the things of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man receiveth not the things of spirit for their foolishness, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That means without the spirit of God, you and I can't understand anything about God. This is why Apostle Paul calls the gospel foolishness. Because those who receive it are those who don't even deserve it. So how is God just if he gives something to people who don't deserve it? How is he just? Because he allowed the Holy Son of Heaven to enter the place of sinners. You see... It's one thing that God allows sinners into the holy place of heaven. How is he just in that? Because he allowed the holy son of heaven to enter the place of sinners. It was a divine supernatural exchange. His his righteousness went to us. Our sin went to him. Therefore, he is just. I'm not shocked that our nation does not believe the Bible. I'm shocked that people in the church do not. Let me be honest with you. We should not expect our nation to follow the word of God. We should not expect that. The church has a hard time following it. The Christians have a hard time following it. The nation's not going to do it. But we should be shocked when the church doesn't believe it. I had a theology professor in college who told me that Jesus Christ did not die to pay the penalty for sin, but he died to be an example of a selfless life. You know what that means? Jesus died to be Mr. Rogers. To show us what a good person is. That's a horrible price to pay for an example. To be honest with you, Gandhi was an example of selfless life. Mother Teresa was an example of selfless life. But Mother Teresa can't remove my sin. Neither can the priest or the Pope or Gandhi. Only the Son of God can remove sin, therefore there had to be a divine exchange. My friend asked me the other day, what are we going to do if it becomes illegal for us to, to as preachers, to res- refuse to perform a wedding ceremony for homosexuals? I said, "We'll just go to jail. No big deal. Apostle Paul did it. God busted him out with the angel, of course. That's a good possibility. What will you do when it's considered hate speech to preach from this book? Guess what? We'll go to jail. That's not the end of the world. There's Christians in jail all over this world right now. Leading people to Jesus. I just read about a preacher who went to jail for 10 years because the government didn't agree with how he was running a 501c3 organization. And in prison, he's led 500 men to Jesus Christ. God doesn't stop because Christians go to jail. What will we do when, like the Moravian church, it becomes illegal to even own a copy of this book? We'll go to jail. But until then, we're going to preach the word right here. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, preach the word. It is the power of God unto salvation. I'm closing with point three. God is just in the judgment of sinners. In verse 18 of Romans 9, he says, Therefore God has mercy on whom He wants to have mercy, and He hardens whom He wants to harden. No one receives eternal judgment because they do not believe in God. Let me say that again. No one receives eternal judgment because they do not believe in God. They receive eternal judgment because their sin deserves it. I had a guy one time tell me, he said, so if your God is so holy that he put me into this earth, and if I don't believe in his book, he's going to punish me forever? Does that sound like a loving God? And I said, God's not going to punish you because you don't believe in his book. He's going to punish you because you're an enemy of him in your life and in your actions. And you want to serve yourself instead of the one who created you. Your sin deserves it. But God has declared His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The good news is that even though you did not keep His law, He has kept you and He purchased you to Himself. And through faith we realize there is forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. We must understand that if God hardens the heart of the sinner, it's because they exactly deserve the due punishment. And if God softens the heart of a sinner to be awakened to His grace and relationship with Him, it's because we never deserved it. And this should make us tremble with fear at the condition of our world. It should make us tremble with fear that our neighbors and coworkers will spend eternity separated from Christ. I hope that if your ears are opened to Jesus, that you believe in unmerited grace. And if you do not believe, then the command today is repent and believe the gospel. That means change your mind about the satisfaction of self. You can't please yourself. You cannot fill your own inner craving with what this world offers. Only God can justify and make right. Believe the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we come to you